another amazing patron-requested episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. And we've got a special guest. We've got a uh, friend of the show, Kay. Hey, yo. And uh, Kay is here because uh, two reasons. One, he uh, works on arcade games and he used to work at Chuck E. Cheese. So we have a lot of questions that we've had in the past, and we had some some people on our Discord ask some questions to ask him. But also, if you go back and look at, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 episodes ago, we covered the game Pirates for the Sega Genesis, and he's the person who requested it. And that's very fortunate because the game we're going to cover today that is also requested <laughs> by a patron is, is a, I don't even want to say it's similar, but it's another kind of... What would be a nice point-and-click PC uh, RPG action strategy game sort of thing, uh, which Pirates is very similar to. And I had a feeling, and we're going to find out very shortly, but I had a feeling that the other two-thirds of this podcast generally <laughs> did not care for this from the get-go, uh, probably before actually playing it. It's really not the kind of game you guys enjoy. Uh, it, it is very similar to old... Uh, when I played this, I thought immediately this was an Amiga game that they ported like a like a Spectrum ZX RPG or something that would have been ported to the Genesis. But no, uh, the game we're going to cover today is Rings of Power for the Sega Genesis. It was made exclusively for the Sega Genesis, sort of, oh, wow. which we'll get into. But it is not a port of another game on another console. It is literally a game made specifically for the Sega Genesis, but plays like these old kind of point-and-click uh, top-down RPGs. So before we get into the game itself, I did do an interview with the patron requested. His name is Brandon, and he is, uh, you know, sometimes I get concerned that people pick games they don't like just to force us to play them. Um, this is not the case in this uh, for this game. This is a game that Brandon uh, remembers very fondly, and he's always amazed that no one's ever heard of it, so he's asked us to cover it to kind of spread the word of the game, even though I think he suspects we may not have enjoyed it or gotten incredibly far with it. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk to Brandon now, and then we will come back with Kay and our thoughts on this game. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is a patron request. Uh, again, if you're interested in us covering your game, join our Patreon. Like this person did, welcome to the show, Brandon. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, Brandon picked the game Rings of Power for the Sega Genesis, a game that none of us had not only not played before, but never heard of, except for someone wrote about it a while ago in a question. I'm willing to bet it was you, because I think maybe six people know about this game. How did you find out about this game? I bought this secondhand at a last stop CD shop. And uh, when I was like 12, so I got it without the map. It had a, a big walkthrough guide, which I ended up not using to beat it. But it was, yeah, it was tremendous. And, and no one else has ever heard of it. There's like six people online. That's kind of why I wanted you guys to do it. Because it's uh, one of my favorites and I wanted it to get more coverage. So It's definitely obscure. It's It's not... You know, it's not like it's a publisher no one's heard of. This was published by Electronic Arts, so clearly they had a, a big foothold in the Genesis market, but they put out a ton of games, and there were a bunch just looking at this. I went back and looked at what other games they make, and there's a ton of other Electronic Arts games I'd never heard of before. So I, I was not too surprised I hadn't heard of this because it's also kind of a, a, a pretty... Uh, I, I want to say it's a pretty tough game to figure out the mechanics to, and we're going to talk about all that uh, when I get the rest of the guys together. But uh, you just told me you finished the game, and without the guide that it comes with, I'm very impressed. This game does not hold your hand, and that's why they gave you a guide that kind of explains where to go. You must have spent, like, years on this game. 
Oh yeah, I bet I bet I had a hundred plus hours into it just because. And you got to keep it. Doesn't there's no quest log, there's no quest markers. So it's just like if someone tells you something, you got to remember it because they're not going to tell you again. But yeah, and it's it's super rewarding though. You feel like when you start to figure the 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 bits of the quest out, you just feel like a genius. Oh, even if you figure out where to go, like if you get uh, the, the first part of the game, and, and we're going to again discuss this, but the first part of the game, you kind of have to build a party. And it's like every time you got a new member, I felt like this would have been finishing another game. Like the, <laughs> the amount of work I had to do and the amount of clues I had to put together to figure out what to do was pretty impressive. Um, and as a result, I would be surprised if uh, if both Jeremy or Billy uh, got very, very far into this. This is, does, seems like a very frustrating game for them, but we will find out uh, as, as we get forward now on this. Um the combat in this game is a little different than I expected. I was I was kind of hoping for, you know, it's a, it switches to a top-down attack view, and I was hoping it would be more of a, like you move your character around physically like you would in like Final Fantasy Tactics. It's not. It's more of a kind of a, a real-time thing where the, the, the computer players and your party kind of do what they want. You can switch to a manual mode, but all that does is really let you pick which spell they use. But otherwise, uh, it was a little hard for me to get into the combat. Is that something that later on in the game you felt got a little more comfortable when you had a full party? Because I admittedly have not had a full party yet. I always felt like combat was cross my fingers and hope for the best. It uh, it used to bother me really bad when I first started playing it. But then I kind of realized, like, I, I played, you know, Final Fantasy 1 kind of, like, directly before that, you know. And, like, most of the fights in there, you just do the same thing over and over again. You know, like, oh, I'm going to fight and you can cast a spell and, you know, so on and so forth. This just kind of automates it for you. Like, if you're strong enough to win, you're going to win. And if you're not, you kind of die and you just kind of sit back and relax and watch your little men do their thing. But it is it is very frustrating when you're screaming at them to, like, heal or something like that. And they just kind of spin around in circles. Oh, yeah. And and if you have it set to auto so they do whatever they want like that, you can you can kind of interrupt and say, hey, why don't you cast this other spell? But sometimes it doesn't do what you want. Sometimes it mixes up who it's attacked because you can't pick the target on anything. It's just you attack and they'll attack an enemy and hopefully they group up. Sometimes they don't. I, I don't know. I found it very frustrating, but at the same time, I have played lots of games that kind of, uh, it, you know, I, I'd say Final Fantasy 12 is very similar in that you're, you're, uh, the other people in your party are doing whatever they want, and hopefully it makes it work. Same with Final Fantasy XIII. That's something that new games kind of have taken over is, hey, we want the combat to be fast and active, not you sitting there pushing a square over and over again. This kind of did that very early on. As a result, it's a little bit clunky, but I like what they were aiming for. There's a lot in this game that as I was playing it, I was like, wow, this is really neat, and I like what they're aiming to do. But I think, again, because it's so early and it's on Genesis, which I think, um, you know, you, you had mentioned to me ahead of time, this was in all likelihood, supposed to be a computer game before a Genesis game, and it feels very much that way. It reminds me of the early Ultimas in some ways. Uh, it, it's it's got a lot of really neat features, but you have to kind of really figure them out thoroughly, and the game does not do a lot of favors in helping you do that. It's got open worlds and day-night cycles and just all kinds of stuff. That's part of why it didn't sell so good. It came out the same time as Madden did. And that it came out in eight meg cart because they had to compress it to make it fit on a Genesis one. That was their big cartridge. And so EA looked at it after making them make it a Genesis exclusive. And they're like, well, Madden's on a four gig or a four meg cart. This is twice as expensive to produce. Plus it has the big book and has a map and all this stuff. So they did one run of it, which sold really good. And after that, we're like, well, we'll just make Madden. So there's only like one run of this out there, which is a big part of why no one ever heard of it. Yeah, I, I used to work at an electronics boutique during the heyday of Genesis. I like started there right before the 32-bit systems came out. So we had walls of Genesis games. I've never seen this before. And that's working in a place where the whole idea was not just we sell the current stuff, but when we started taking used stuff, we went through, we saw tons of games I never saw, still never saw this game. I, that's the most impressive part to me is this is, this is a Genesis game that 
by all likelihood, but when you see who who was the 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 developer for it, when you see who the, the the publisher was, all these are things that I should have seen this game and I hadn't. So I'm very excited that you picked it uh, because I do like diving into games I know nothing about. Again, hopefully the other guys agree with me on that, but we will find out. Uh, is there something specific about this that I we didn't already talk about that you kind of want to highlight as a, uh, something that you were very happy about with this game? Uh, the thing I think makes it like the most special is that it has, there's 11 rings, there's five party members free to pick up, and then there's a couple other like ancillary quests. And if you made like a like a crazy person map with thumbtacks and string, like each of those individual things will take you all over the globe. But it's really hard to follow any of those right from the start. So you just kind of wander around trying not to die. Oh yeah. And as you go, you intercept the different parts of the quests. And after, like I said, after you hit like three or four, you know, you intersect it three or four times. You're like, oh my god, oh my god, I know where the thing is. And you go there, and sure enough, it is. And you just you feel like a fucking genius. And you have that like. 15 times and it's just amazing like i've never felt i've never done anything else like that where it's just like you'll intercept the quest kind of from the side and then it's like on you to like find it and follow it up without somebody really holding your hand that was real special to me i still haven't seen a lot of stuff that does that no the, the closest thing i'd say um and i know it's not the same kind of game and it's kind of in in uh too recent to make it sound like it's not just me saying something recent but honestly if you played elden ring that has a very similar kind of feel to where there are there's an overall arcing quest, but there's tons of stuff just to find. And later on, you'll find people who are like, "Oh, if you went down here, you could see this thing." You're like, "I have been down there. I have seen that thing. I know what you're talking about." Yep. And you can find. I mean, it, again, that's a good thirty years after this was a, was a game. But I, I like games that do that sort of thing. So it's neat to see an early game that really, uh, again, if you were willing to put the time in, has a lot of that that kind of built in that now we for open world games we kind of expect. It also, because the quests are structured like that, it'll let you sequence break like really hard. Like I said, it's, I think it's like, I bet I spent a hundred hours on it. I think that the playthrough, if you go on like how long to beat is like 30 or 40 hours. The speed run, the no glitch speed run is like under two hours. You can just walk pretty much to the, the, the second to the last stop of everything and just go get it if you know what you're doing. Yeah. It's just, you have to figure out where they lost this ring hundreds of years ago, you know, and it's, it's, well, it's, it's, you feel like a genius when it happens. So again, thank you for, for bringing this to our attention. I'm very excited to talk about it, and hopefully more people will now hunt this game down and give it a shot. Because I think even if you don't care for it, it's interesting, and it's kind of neat to check out. Um, if anyone was looking for you on the internet, Brandon, where would they find you? Probably won't. I The internet is awful, <laughs> poisonous, <laughs> and I try and avoid it like the plague. Well, that's fair. That's a fair bet. And honestly, if I didn't have, uh, if we didn't have this podcast, I probably would be a lot, a lot, of, a lot less than I am right now. So uh, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention, and we will let you know what we think coming up after this. I appreciate it, man. So as you said at the start of the episode, this is a Sega Genesis game. Rings of Power was published by Electronic Arts, which a lot of Genesis games were, and developed by a very early Naughty Dog. Uh, Naughty Dog now, of course, well-known for Crash Bandicoot and then uh, the Uncharted series. I mean, games that now are like triple-A-level games. This is not a triple-A-level game. This is definitely a game that uh, has a small audience. It was made by a team of three people who spent time working on it while they were at college in different states and different areas across the country. Uh, I'm sorry, in different parts of the world. Yeah. And, uh, and they all kind of combined their, their work at the end to put this game out. Uh, originally, they wanted to make this a computer game. And Electronic Arts said no. 
There aren't a lot of RPGs on the Genesis. This is perfect for the Sega Genesis. And so they kind of forced <laughs> it into this system. They only made one on. run of these cards. Hold on. <laughs> I kept it together. Uh, as you were explaining things about how it was a three-man team and they probably never even talked to each other, I was like, hmm, some pieces of the puzzle are coming together. But I, I think it was perfect for the Sega Genesis. It finally did it. And I've said bad things about Sega Genesis, so I will not... I will not clarify why that's so funny to me because it hurts feeling. It hurts feelings when you do that, but, but continue. I just, I, well, I so it, it's a large cart. It is, it is a lot of things crammed onto this cart. So they could only make a small run of this game. They did. It sold out. I don't want to say it wasn't a massive success, but it sold out. And they were like, you know what? We make a lot more money making Madden. So they didn't make any more of these carts. As a result, this is a very expensive cart to find if you're going to look for it. But I'm wondering if you weren't one of the seven people who had played this game previously, would you ever look for this game? And I think we're going to find out when, as we talk about our own experiences <laughs> with the game. First off, Billy, I'm sure you had never even heard of this before this podcast. No, um, uh, there was a time, uh, thankfully, that uh, I blissfully went throughout my life without knowing this thing existed. Uh, but that time is over now. And, but it was only recent. I got in a good 40 years without knowing <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I had no idea. This isn't, even if I knew it existed, it's not, like you said at the beginning, it's not really the kind of game um, at that time I would have would have looked into. Uh, this wouldn't even have been on my, my list as far as a rental goes. Uh, it's just, what am I thinking at the time? Um, but no, this is uh, completely new to me. Uh, this was the first, uh, my, my only holdout, my only hope was maybe that it was Lord of the Rings related. Uh, that's kind of what I was hoping for. I didn't even get that, though. No, it is not Lord of the Rings related at all. Um, Jeremy, I know you've been biting, uh, you've been chomping at the bit to tell us how much you played this game over, you rented it over and over again, <laughs> over and over again. This is like a constant rental for you, I'm sure. I, every time I went to the video store, basically. No, I, I, I've mentioned before on this show that I, I didn't really look for RPGs that much back in the day, unless it had Final Fantasy or, or Squaresoft mm. as a, you know, that was a thing that was on the box, but especially on the Genesis, this was nothing that I would be looking for. And I'm pretty sure I had never even heard of this game, uh, let alone seen it until this patron brought it up for this. And I even asked, you know, my, my brother who was, was way more into retro games as far as like cataloging that stuff than I am. And he was just like, what? Like, that's a game. I was like, yeah, it's on the Genesis. And he hadn't even heard of it. So this one was new to me. Um, I, I can safely say that I, I wish it would have stayed new to me, but uh, I did not touch this as a kid. And even if I'd have seen it, I would have probably passed right over it because it literally looks like something, like you said, that would have came out of it's an old PC. You know, if I went over to my uh, this dude across the alley from me, he was the guy that, that owned uh, an old computer back in the day. There's always that one guy back in the 80s that owned the computer and you thought mm -hmm. he was like a wizard with the stuff he could do, <laughs> do on there. And every time I would go over to his house, he was either playing Red Baron or he was playing something that looked like this shit right here. And yeah, uh, yeah as soon as I saw the pictures of this, I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what he would be playing. OK, now, since you were a, a Genesis guy, you had pirates on the Genesis. You like that kind of uh, PC strategy games. This must have been one in your collection. Oh, my God. No, I mean, look, I was an RPG fiend back in the 16-bit era. All right. But. Even if the game was terrible, it's still something I would have seen on a shelf and rented, probably just rented it once and never again. 
there were even bad games that I rented several times, like uh, Draken for the Super Nintendo comes to mind. Oh, yeah. If you want to talk about RPGs where you have next to no control over combat, I mean, this is in the same category. Oh, I've, I've put that on the, the list for this show, but no one's been brave enough to do it yet. <laughs> but, but here we are covering Rings of Power for the Sega Genesis. So, well, okay. I, I don't want to give you a... You're welcome back for another episode, then. Oh, God. I don't want to give any spoilers, but I will say that uh, if you do a, uh, a Draken episode, um, we've already hit the bottom of the barrel here. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like that would be a nice breather. You know, after this and, and Wall Street Kid and, uh, you know, the Sub-Zero Mortal Kombat game, is, is this just becoming a podcast where you guys just shit all over everything because everything you play is terrible no no and in fact i think i had some very nice things to say about wall street kid along with the things that i didn't care for um this is different this is a request from one of the patrons just like your pirates game so this was not one we picked um i will say we have some other episodes coming up that we have picked because we want to play something we don't dislike so if you do think this is becoming a podcast where we just shit all over everything that's not what we're doing that is not the goal and hopefully our next few shows will will buck that trend which would be great uh you know Again, I did have a PC. I had an Amiga, so I was very similar. Very, you know, the, the, I was very used to kind of these esoteric RPG games that required you to do a lot more than you'd expect from things like um, Final Fantasy or, or Dragon Warrior. You know, like the Ultima games. Huge fan. Even the Nintendo Ultima game kind of has a few wonky things, but the the Commodore sixty four version of Ultima. Uh, three, which is what I had played first, you have to walk around to these towns kind of like you do in this game. You've got to figure out where to go. There's not a whole lot of guidance. You talk to people and they give you clues. you got to write them down. Um, the one thing that, that that game did that this thing game, thankfully, did not is in Ultima 3 on the computer. You had to actually type in keywords. So if you were trying to get a clue from, say, the king, you'd have to say, you know, whatever the, the phrase was you'd learn from a thief that sometimes was maybe not gibberish, but not a phrase you would have ever used Otherwise, you know, like spare the fork or something. All of a sudden he says the next key. This doesn't do that. So this is thankfully a, a little more console-y than that, but it's still more like a PC game than any console RPG that I've played that wasn't a direct port of a, of a PC game. So the first thing you notice when you turn this game on after the intro, which has like, there's a neat backstory to this. It's nothing that's going to blow your mind, mm. but it's not just a standard, uh, you know, stolen fantasy story. There, there was a... The, the, the good, like, god entity thing named Nexus came, and uh, there's the, an evil version called Void that's kind of the alternate uh, dark version of, of Nexus. They had some kind of giant fight that's before the game actually starts, and, and the Rod of Creation, that's what Nexus uses to kind of run the world, is broken into two parts, and then that is broken into 11 different rings. The, the story starts where you are a sorcerer named Buck, and you've been sent to... Um, You've been sent on a quest to essentially get all these rings and combine them back together into the Rod of Creation so that you can, I guess, bring Nexus back into the world or help Nexus stop Void forever. Something similar. Uh, the The actual story doesn't matter because I'm going to be honest, I didn't get far enough into this game to really understand what I was doing uh, to find these rings or to help Nexus or anything else. It doesn't really matter. All the mechanics uh, we can discuss very thoroughly and why they may or may not work. So... The, the first thing you'll notice when you, when you log into this after the intro is that this is an isometric top-down view. It's like a, a quarter-down view, so there's supposed to be some depth in there so you can see when you're walking, you know, towards and away the screen. But basically, the whole screen is, if you push up, you go um, up and to the right. And if you push down, you go down to the left. It looks very much like a game like Solstice or The Immortal. Uh, there, there are other games that do this. 
Now, I, I've talked about a game that I was playing on the Switch that has that, um, that I liked, because it was action. So I don't mind a game with an isometric view of its action when that's kind of part of the action is getting used to that weird controls. In this case, though, I found it very disorienting. It was very hard for me to use the map, which because when you look at the map, the map is a regular north, south, east, west. Looks like it would be normally. Uh, the top of the screen is north. The bottom of the screen is south. So then when you go back to the gameplay screen, everything is diagonal. And you have to remember <laughs> the map you were looking at means if you want to go north, you have to instead go northeast for, you know, as far as you need to go for a map. That's the first thing you'll notice. The second thing is that the movement of your character is clearly done in squares. If you push up, you don't slowly walk up or anything. You you walk up one specific square worth of distance, and it's not fast. So if you hit up three times, you'll watch your character slowly go, well, up diagonal three times. But it's it's like you can kind of input keys way in advance. You can go up four and to the right five, and you'll watch your character go one, two, three, four, five. It's so slow compared to what you want to see. That's uh, very off-putting. And the map itself on the screen scrolls as you move forward, but it doesn't, like, it just stops hard. So if it's like, uh, you can see five squares in front of you, and then it looks like there's a cliff. But then if you go in that direction, you'll see that the that it keeps, like, kind of what's supposed to look like scrolling. But instead, it just makes it so that the world just generates as you walk. And it was very, very difficult to figure out where I was, uh, even with the map that you get pretty early in the game, to figure out exactly where I was and how to get around. I think I think we could just uh, take that little voice clip of you saying it's very off-putting, and then we could we could wrap it up right now if you want to. <laughs> and, uh, it's very off-putting. All right, guys, next week. Uh, I, no, I kind of like the look that that Naughty Dog's mm. going for here, but I mean, as far as the idea of it, you know, it's uh, kind it's of got, try it, yeah, and it does like a little board game type thing. Yeah, it looks like a populist yeah. look to it or something, uh, but it's just done so haggard that you can't, I can't yeah. stand the way anything moves in this thing. Yeah, it, it, uh. Uh, yeah call me old-fashioned or, or snob or whatnot, but I, I like, you know, my, my video games control pretty decently. And, oh, hot damn. Like, I, I, I already didn't come into this. I'll admit, um, and this is, I know, not the usual for me, but I came into this maybe with not the most positive attitude <sighs> about things. Um you know, you hang out with Jeremy Gregory for several years. It's going to rub off on you. Um, but damn so it. Just, you know, that's the benefits of being a friend with me. That's it. That's it. And uh, but the second I start moving around this thing and trying, trying to navigate, uh, I, I knew I knew I was in for something special. Then I knew all my fears were probably going to be realized. Uh, and I, I just mm, I don't know if I didn't give this one a good enough shot. I played this thing for uh, I, God, I put a lot. I put a bit of time into this thing and I feel like I just could not get used to just the, the pace of this game. If you want to even call it that, I don't know if it moves quick enough for something to be to, to even be considered a pace at some point in time. I felt like a game that already was not an exciting genre to me was somehow made even more fucking mind numbing. It 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 is like it, it just the way it looks. It looks like something that was made in MS Paint, and mm. uh, I know all of you know my friend, your friend Amanda Wood. Back yes. in the day, in the mid two thousands, she was quite good at using MS Paint. Oh and, yeah. Um, a lot of this game, including the characters and the way they look, everything just looks like something she would send me on like a messenger back in the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that that's just the overall aesthetic of this game is 2005 Amanda Wood MS Paint art. <laughs> it, 
it's just it's so weird and i don't i don't know just everything all the little characters and their little twitches that they do everybody twitches mm-hmm. around in this game like they're nervous for some fucking reason cuz probably cuz they're in rings of power but it's just <laughs> it's just a weird looking game all around and uh even with like you know they've got the the mat around it like you're reading a book or something that's got burns in it and stuff like that you can see what they were kind of going for and you know of course later on naughty dog would go on to make much better games that were realized way better but this is like it really does feel like this is their first game and they were reaching for something that they just didn't quite understand or know how Mm -hmm. to do or just weren't capable of doing back then yeah, there's there's two things in the mechanics that were completely damning for me. I'm not like there wasn't anything else damning, but these two things that stood out the most. One was the so-called pace of the game where everything is just abysmally slow. It was to the point where I thought, okay, do I just have a bad ROM of this? I mean, mm, do I have a mm. bad legitimate copy of this mm-hmm. that runs slowly? Or uh, is there just something wrong? I had to look it up and and, and see a video of it and be like, no, yeah, that's that's how it's supposed to go. And just had, the fact had that... A little... May have had a little dust in his cart, his official cartridge he was using. <laughs> That's right. I, I put some alcohol and a Q-tip on there. It didn't seem to fix it, so I don't know if I just had a corrupted, uh, corrupted chip on there or something. But you know, this is the way that everything just kind of jitters and jumps around because as you move, the entire world moves with you and just shifts mm. over one. Right. And it does not do it very smoothly. So that, that's <laughs> that's one. And then two, just the low quality of the sprites. To the point where, you know, your character Buck is supposed to be wearing a robe, but instead the folds of the robe looks like he has an impressive rack. Yeah. And then, <laughs> like the, I think they're conjurers or, or whatever, but w- one of the one of the special types of uh, characters just looks like a four-year-old bull, like holding a beach bowl. Yeah. But it's supposed to be, you know, like a magic ball that he's creating out of thin air. But no, it's a, it's a fucking beach ball. And then he throws it at you and you die and you feel stupid. Oh, yeah. And it does a ton of damage the first time. Uh, the, the, the other thing that I realized quickly is that you don't see the, which is not uncommon, you don't see the enemies on the screen all the time. Most of the time, although sometimes there are things you can see on the screen, you'll have random encounters when you're out in the world where as you're walking, it just kind of looks, it zooms in like you're going to talk to somebody and all of a sudden it switches to an attack screen. It, when you get attacked mm-hmm. in this game, it does go to a separate combat screen. And... Uh, Kay kind of hinted to this earlier, but there's no control of your combat necessarily. The game starts with an automatic combat. So the your character, and then later on you get characters to join you, will just fight, like it says whose turn it is, and then they'll kind of randomly walk around the screen like they're going to go towards somebody and attack them. You cannot pick who they're going to attack. You can switch to a manual mode that lets you pick what spell they're going to do. Um, but otherwise, you know, you can't pick who they're going to cast that spell on. You can't pick... Uh, you know, that you want to stay in the back and stay out of the way of the guys with swords. Like, your guy's just going to move wherever they want to, and they're going to cast whatever spell they want to, and you have to just hope that when you watch this battle play out, that it's going to play out in your favor. Uh, Most often than not, it didn't, because the other thing I've noticed is that random encounters in this game do not matter what level you're on. It matters more of where you are, which is okay, but since your quest is going to involve you going and essentially just exploring this fairly large world. The world is very large, I'll give it that. And it is uh, a looping world. Like if you go all the way to the west, eventually you'll loop around to where you started from. It's a globe uh, of, of action. Um, 
you have to basically there there are you know a series of towns across this world you can see you get a map again at your very start of the game it's kind of like a here's how you you walk around and learn how to use things open chests you'll find a map great and now when you hit the pause menu because it's a lot of menus um you'll see a map and it'll show you where you are you can scroll that map around and see the entire world so you can see there are these town areas and and the way that this game works to tell you what to do is you'll just talk to people in town. You know, the first the first quest when you start the game is you're supposed to go to your guild. You're a sorcerer, you go to the sorcerer's guild. Uh, your guild master has a quest for you. And he says, well, first you have to go to the, the temple and get like, talk to the temple guy. But then you go back to your, your guild leader and you say, hey, guild leader, you know, what's going on? He gives you a quest to go like right outside of town and get this religious symbol back from someone who stole it. Um, once you've done that mission, which is go over to his house, you have to fight him awkwardly. Like we already explained the fighting, you basically just walk in front of somebody. And then once the combat starts, cross your fingers and watch. Um, if you do defeat him, great. You can go back to the, to the guild master. Uh, as he's explaining that he's trying to get you to go find the rings, someone comes in and assassinates him, which causes all the people in the guild to kind of be spread out across the world. And now you're in a new town. You don't exactly know what to do. Uh, except that you're supposed to find these rings as an overall, you know, arcing story. And so the way you figure out what you're supposed to do is you talk to everybody in town. And eventually you'll find somebody who will give you a clue. And you can't just go up to somebody and talk to them like you would in Final Fantasy or, or, or Dragon Warrior. Again, I'm going to use those two as comparisons because I think for console RPG players, those are kind of like the staples, right? But, you know, you walk up to a townsperson and talk to them and they'll tell you one thing, maybe. If you talk to them over and over again, they might change what they say, but generally it's the same. Not in this game. This is very much set up like a PC game where once you talk to somebody, you can ask them about their job, their class, what they do in the town, if they have anything to help you with your quest, if they want to sell you something, if they want to buy something, if you could show them an item, uh, if you could bribe them, or if you want to fight them. Because you can fight pretty much anybody in this game, which is uh, probably don't win, but you can fight almost everybody in this game by selecting fight <laughs> when you talk to them. The game is is very much reminds me of, of something like an, an, an Ultima series game. Your job is now just to talk to everybody. Ask all the questions you can. Make sure you've run out all their um, little, little options for text. And it might tell you a clue on what you're supposed to do. It normally doesn't say something cut and dry like, oh, you should head to this town where you'll find a guy with a lantern. Instead, it'll say like, well, all the, the conjurers are in the town of blood or something. Actually, that's incorrect. But the same idea. All the conjurers in the town of blood, you should go there. And when you go to the Town of Blood, you'll talk to someone there, and they're like, oh, you should go to this guild and look for this guy. And then once you've gotten the note to go there, you go there and ask about the quest, and then he'll say, oh, I have somebody that can join you because you want to get a group to join you to make your party bigger. Uh, but first, you have to do this subquest. And so you get all these little threads of quests to go through, and a lot of the quests will say things like, look behind a waterfall or something similar. So then you, you have to go find this waterfall on your map, and there's always a ton of them, but find the right one, and then find out what they're talking about. Eventually, you might find a hidden cave you wouldn't know is there, or, or you know something that's out of the ordinary that even require you to, uh, anywhere in the map of the game, you can push the, the B button, and you'll just zoom in on that area to like a smaller map like you would for combat, and sometimes there's stuff hidden there. Like, there is so much going on here, and they give you such little guidance. In some ways, that's amazing. And in some ways, it's very impressive. <laughs> but the end result is, especially if you're trying to play this game in a fairly quick manner to talk about for a podcast, it's infuriating because the game expects you to spend all your time drawing maps, writing down every little clue you might have gotten from people, writing down anything notable because it might come back later as an important tip. I mean, this game expects you to have notebooks of information that you've taken to follow this to the end. Well, if that's the case, it seems like it'd be right up your alley. It should be, but I think the problem is I'm playing this in 2022. I almost guarantee you this is the kind of game that if I would have had on my Genesis when it was new, 
and it was the only game I had for months at a time, I would be a guy calling a podcast in 2022 saying, you've got to cover this game. There's all these neat things, and it's really you know, ahead of its time. Uh, blinded by nostalgia, because I think this game now is... You can find all the flaws in it very quickly, and all the really cool things that are in here that are kind of buried underneath that are not worth the hassle uh, for most of this game to get through. So like we mentioned, the combat is... Um, I don't know if anybody else enjoyed the combat, but I certainly did not. And even later on when I thought I was like overleveled for stuff, I was still dying to crap that was just anything I fought, there was a chance I was going to die. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of saving. There's a lot of loading. There's a lot of dying to things that you shouldn't have because your morons cast the wrong spell on the wrong target, wandered up to the wrong person and got stabbed in the face when they should have been running away. The fact that there's no control over combat is infuriating just because there are battles that you should have won if you had control of your characters but you Mm -hmm. don't and the ai is not very bright yeah i will say that you did a far better job actually describing this game than it actually feels like playing it (laughs) what you described honestly sounds like a video game but you you take control of it and you're seeing the things that are on screen and what's happening it feels like a car wreck like all of that is just jumbled together in in a just a bunch of randomness to where it doesn't even you don't even know what the hell you're doing, even if you have a fact in front of your face, which I did, and I know we all you, did. Yeah, that's the only way to play it unless you're watching a YouTube walk, which I don't even know this. I didn't even find a long play on YouTube for this thing. I'll tell you I think why. We were all going off the same one too, because there's really only one fact out there. Well, yeah, it, and even when you're doing that, it just it's it doesn't hardly work. Like it's just ugh. This game came with, along with the regular manual, it came with a full walkthrough. That's how hard this game is. That Even Electronic Arts was like, you know what, we're going to give you a full walkthrough. Um, now, it doesn't get in as much detail as I'm sure we all went to Game GameFAQs or somewhere else to find this, this walkthrough that we were using. But it still requires you have a walkthrough because nothing is explained very well. I mean, even the clues you get that tell you where to go, um, it'll tell you to go to a town. But you don't have a map that shows you the name of towns. You have a map that shows you where towns are. And it means you have to then trek across the world to each of these towns to find the name of them and figure out, okay, this is this is the town of blood. This is the town of um, patience or whatever the names of these towns were. Uh, and, and make sure you know exactly where to go because all these quests require you to go to these different towns. And sometimes to go to travel across the world to go to a town to talk to one guy who then has you drive, you know, go all the way across the world on a boat to the other side of the world to talk to a guy in a lighthouse. And then he says, oh no, go back to this town that's near the start of the game where you were and there's a ladder you didn't see. And you're like, God damn it. And it's it's just a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. You have all these random encounters that come and wipe you out almost immediately. So literally, anytime I was going to go anywhere or do anything or made any kind of progress, you got to save. This game does save, thankfully. It's not a ridiculous password system. It is a save, mm-hmm. but it's one save spot. One. That's awful. Any RPG game has to have mo- at least two spots. So you can have like a safe save and then a save you use when you're trying to get to the next like place where you feel pretty confident with your save. If you look at my saves for other more modern RPGs like... Uh, Final Fantasy XII, I probably have 17 safe spots, just in case I need to go back to an earlier spot, because I hate to lose progress that much. This game, from the get-go, I made about three hours of progress in this game, and I felt really good about it. And then um, one of the things I hate that this game does, that again, I think it's a neat... I understand why you'd think this is cool, but I hate it in pen and paper RPGs. I hate this in anything. I hate when you have to buy food and water. I hate it. It's not mm-hmm. fun. Having to manage would... those is not enjoyable, unless you have a way... Like, 
it, in Breath of the Wild, you need to eat and stuff, but you can hunt and you can find food places. You can forage for food. You can't do that here. You literally have to go and make sure you spend all your money on food and water and then hope to God you get your mission part equi- you know, finished enough to get earn enough money to go back and buy more food and water. I hate it. I hate having to manage that stuff because you also immediately start taking damage if you run out of food and water. Yeah, I was waiting for you to bring up that mechanic because it's not a great one. Now, I did find a, a little way to subvert that. Uh, one of the things, in fact, that it suggested was if you... If you go to the, 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 I guess it's a general store. If you go to the general store mm-hmm. in the town of Bind, which is the town you start in, you can buy gems for fairly cheap. They're like 75 gold or something like that. If you take those gems and you get on a boat and you head north, you can find a town called Commerce, which buys those gems for like 400, 500 gold. You just do that over and over until you've built up enough money so that you can buy enough food and water that you don't even have to worry about it anymore. I've got... Four billion food, I'll never run out. That was the only way I could make this game a little bit more manageable was to completely eliminate that mechanic by breaking the economy and just having a ton of money. Kind of feels like just breaking this game in general is about the only way to <laughs> enjoy it. I was going to ask, you know, the the thing that makes that one save even worse. I didn't experience this myself, but I think uh, at least one of you did. You can actually just completely ruin your run. As yes, you I did that. I made my game unwinnable. All right. Well, thanks. Single save spot. So, I mean, what, what you just start over then, I guess. Granted, yeah, I did have to start over. Granted, I was only a couple hours in. And honestly, with all the wandering around I was doing, I'd really only made about 10 minutes of progress in those hours. But what I had decided to do was uh, use that fight mechanic to fight anyone I wanted to. And uh, basically, I went to a house with a, a nice loving couple and their child. And uh, I went upstairs <laughs> and the, the child's wearing like this, like, I don't know, where's this is about to get real dark. This is not and, good. Uh, mm-hmm. The kid's a sorcerer, too, because everyone in the town is a sorcerer. You go to blood, everyone in the town is a necromancer. It doesn't matter if yeah. they are, if they run the general store. It doesn't matter if they're a tavern keeper. It doesn't matter if they're a waitress. They're all the same class as everybody else in that town. So I'm, I go talk to this kid that's a sorcerer, and, of course, I murder him. Because why not? <laughs> of course. I get a, I, of course. I, I get a six experience points. And uh, 20 gold for my efforts. And at first, the parents didn't react. So I thought they didn't care that I killed their child. But as soon as I went downstairs, they attacked me. But I found out that if you're in a building and you choose the camp option, it'll just warp you outside. Mm -hmm. And so I did that and went back in and they had already forgotten that I'd killed their child. (laughs) My God. They they no longer cared. Although I will say, if you get into a fight with a couple, uh, the man punches you and it does one point of damage. And the woman will punch you and it'll do four points of damage. She's... Four times stronger than her husband, and she's twice as strong as a bear. <laughs> so this game is progressive in that it does not want you to kill women. It makes Are it really hard for you to do so. That Rings of Power is not a very well thought out video game. No, I'm saying that Rings of Power doesn't want you to uh, murder housewives, so it makes them much stronger than everyone else to make it too hard to do so. <laughs> well, it, kids, can, kids can get it, though. Absolutely. Kids can get it, and you will benefit from doing so, except mm-hmm. later on you'll get to... Uh, people you're supposed to talk to to further your quest and instead they attack you on site and of course they're way stronger than you are so you just mm-hmm. die. Well, and and this game is designed for you to explore everything and take all these notes so it also means that when you did that first run there were probably things you had to do that you didn't have to do the second run because you just knew like, oh, I know where to go to get this quest item. I don't have to go talk to seven people in seven different towns. 
I know the quest item is on this island, and I can just go get it and finish my quest. So you can you can find speed runs of this game that's done in like four hours. But the game, as uh, as Brandon was telling me, he spent over a hundred hours to figure this game out, and I believe it. I believe that it would have spent me more time to to figure out this game and really map it out and really find everything than it took me to finish Elden Ring, and that's terrifying uh, because th this game is not as big as Elden Ring, but it's that kind of level of effort. You've got to write down everything everyone tells you. Um, after you get uh, through the first, so the first part of the game requires you to go to all these towns and essentially, you know, form your party, gather your heroes so that you can take on the forces of, of, vo of the void. Uh, and that means you have to, you know, go to each of these towns, talk to the guild master. He gives you a little quest to do. You do the quest. Then all of a sudden you get an archer to join you or a necromancer to join you or a conjurer to join you, whatever. Um, one of the items you can find in the middle of this process is a sextant so that you can actually get the coordinates on your map of where you're going and like, oh, I'm at, you know, 50 comma 40 or whatever like it gives you the, the coordinates of what you need and that's super important because a whole bunch of quest lines you find and a whole bunch of clues you get will just give you sextant marks it'll just tell you what what coordinates to go to but without that sextant which you have to go find hidden somewhere you won't know how to follow all these clues but again if you've been writing all that stuff down and then you go back for another playthrough later and you get the quest that's like oh you need to go get this ring then you know the ring is on this island in this in this middle of this this like ice field you go there you get it Great, you don't have to do all the hunting to find it, you know where they are, but it requires you to have done that and learned where everything is and taken the time. So while it does suck that you found an unwillable state, it in some ways it's kind of nice because you can then, you know, cut out parts of the game and, and make it easier. Like when you found out the money trick to uh, sell, buy a bunch of gems and sell them in another town. Also, that's not a trick. That is 100% what they intended you to do to make money. You do not make money in this game fighting. You make a little bit. You'll kill somebody, like you said, you'll get 20 gold. But water's eight, and food is 12. So you basically bought, like, 10 minutes of living by <laughs> by killing people. Uh, and again, most of these fights are so so damaging, at least early on, that you're probably going to die half the time anyway. Uh, so you better save every step you take if you're trying to get back to town to buy food and water. Um, but yeah, once you've learned things like, oh, I can take all the gems and sell them in commerce. And then, oh, I can cut off this whole quest because there's the ladder in this area I know where to get to it. Or there's a guy that's in this one square of the town where if I then zoom in on that square, I can find the person I need to talk to that normally is like a three steps down this quest line. You can cut out a lot of uh, a lot of extra time if you've had previous plays where you learned all those things. Um, this game, like you kind of mentioned, everybody is some kind of spellcaster. Even the, the fighters technically are spellcasters. They attack with spells called things like stab. Uh, there is no equipment. You don't buy new armor. You don't buy new weapons. You just do buy new spells. In order to buy new spells, you have to find them. And you have to go to the town and find guilds for those classes. And then you can buy some spells there. But it doesn't tell you whether or not you can cast them yet. You just buy them. And hopefully at some point you'll level up high enough where you can cast those spells. Uh, you do have a mana bar and like a health bar. It doesn't give you numbers for what those things are, so you just kind of have to hope that you, you know, it'll say, like, you took eight damage, but I don't know what that means. A chunk of my health bar goes away, but it seems to be in, like, quarter-sized chunks on your health bar, but does not actually tie to the number, so there are times where you think you're okay, and then you hit twice, and you die, and it's really frustrating. Um, it, it, it was incredibly frustrating to try to get anywhere at the start of this game. Uh, now, Brandon didn't say that, kind of like, once you get your party put together, and you start earning some levels, and you've started getting the higher-level spells... You can kind of march through parts of the game later on where it is really just all about figuring out where to go to get these rings and how to, you know, how to navigate this world, find all the hidden stuff. But the start of the game is pulling teeth. Not only do you have these tough fights, but you have other things that come up that are, you know, at the start of the game can almost like just immediately ruin your experience. I'm outside of the very first town I'm in. It's just me. 
I don't have anyone else in my party yet. I don't have the option to do. I'm going to, the, to kill that guy in the town nearby to get his, his, you know, the symbol he stole from the Sorcerer's Guild. And all of a sudden, the king's guard come up to me and ask me for a, like, to pay a toll of 150 gold, which I don't have. I spent all my gold at the start of the game on spells and stuff so that I thought I would be, like, helping myself out. So I don't have any, any money. So I'm like, no, nah, I can't pay you. Sorry. And instead of, like, sending you to jail, because there are jails, you find people in them. Uh, they just immediately start attacking you, and while you do have the option to flee combat, it's not immediate, and most of the time they all get their full cycles of attacks, which is two or three attacks, and, and I just died. I died literally at the start of the game over and over again, until eventually I just got lucky enough to get everything I needed, get to that guy's house, take the symbol, and get warped, and I just, like, every step of the way I was saving. Uh, it's too hard to get started in this, I think, is is really my biggest complaint. I think if 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 there was an easier way to level, possibly, or if there was, like, I couldn't figure out a heal effectively. I, I know you can stay at the inn and you can camp if no one attacks you, but other than that, like I couldn't find a good way to heal early on. It, it's just a very, very tough game to get a foothold in. So therefore, it's even more tough to try to get somebody to that doesn't like this sort of game to spend time to learn it. This is this is easily the the toughest game we've played to get into. Oh, this yeah, is. I, this, I don't even this know. Is, yeah. No, oh no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I'm I, not because I don't know what to say about this thing. <laughs> I'm not either. Worse than Jim Fire. Um and Jim Fire is low bar. I, I, and I think somebody got fucking pissy about the shit talking of Jim Fire, even though it was earned. Um, but I, whoever that was, they can they can hold their head up a little bit higher because I will say officially, and this is with no disrespect to our to our patron to pick this one out i do appreciate all patron picks that come this way i, I appreciate that the people that do the picking um and, and it seemed like it was done with good intentions um but yeah this is uh yeah maybe you know worst game we've done so far i, I, I say so far because something's going to come around i mean there's this gym fire and general chaos right that's that's about it now this is another one of those games where I'm always impressed by the, our listeners who are able to actually make it through these things. Because, you know, I mentioned Draken earlier. I rented that back when I on the Super NES and played it for three days before I had to throw it back at the video store. Had no idea what I was doing in that game the whole way through. This, even though it came with a, a walkthrough, like you said, I, I still don't know how they did it unless they were 30 years old when this came out back then and just sat and just beat their head against a wall over and over to get through this for a hundred hours. It's just, it, it amazes me. I, I guess that's just, you know, how it was back then. You got one game and you're going to play that damn game no matter how, no matter what you're doing in it. I would just like to, uh, read you verbatim some of the notes I made on my first experience with this game. Cause Please. when I very first started, uh, I didn't consult the guide. I just wanted to play it blind, kind of get a feel for it, see what was going on. So here we go. First experience. <clears throat> Wandered around in the tavern. I have nothing more to say on that topic. Get it? Because that's what everybody says. <laughs> everybody says it after the first thing they say. Oh, Lord. Uh, went down the road. <laughs> randomly uh, ended up talking to a weird homeless dude. Because you get accosted by beggars is one of your random encounters. Oh, and, and even though they're beggars, if you don't pay them, if you don't have the cash, you're like, sorry, I'm also poor fight instant fight yes i decided to murder them because i wanted to keep my 50 gold so i killed him and uh, you know his random friend with no consequence uh i ended up in a hut 
met a dude who didn't like sorcerers and I murdered him out of spite, which later on I found out is the guy you're supposed to kill if you're a quest. Yes. So uh, I, I completed the quest without knowing it. I was just being an asshole. Uh, wandered around a little bit more. Some lizard looking thing was breathing fire at me. Came up to me. There's like four dudes and just killed me immediately. My game has ended. What the fuck just happened? Yeah. Yeah, even after playing it for hours, that would happen to me. I would just die to something. Uh, you, you can buy, this is something I should have mentioned because I thought it was really cool. You can buy like a lizard thing to ride around on. You can buy boats you need to use to get through, obviously, that you know, across the oceans and, and streams. Later on, you can get a dragon you can fly around on. I never succeeded to get that. But when you just let the game run automatically, that shows you that. Because who wouldn't think that's cool? I never saw it in real life. I saw other people flying around on dragons in the game that would have then attacked me. But I didn't have any dragons. But like... If I was on a ship, I would just be trying to cross, just cross this one's promotion. I can see on my map, there's another town literally like straight across. And I would go as, as fast as I could and immediately you'd see bigger ships show up. And all of a sudden I'm getting attacked by eight guys, <laughs> eight guys who have like four times the health I do on each of their guys. And I would just have to die and hopefully save before I went. I, I would lose a ton of progress because I would forget to save because I was on a good roll. I was like, okay, I got, I got a quest. I'm going into these, these like abandoned mines and I'm trying to save some archers and like I would get all the way through that quest and like all right I save I saved the, the archers I got an archer to join me this is going great I'm walking back to town boom hit by a bunch of guys that are way stronger than me kill me and I have to go back to the very beginning of the whole quest line which was like an hour of my life that I have to know now go back and and again do the same dance where I save and load and save and load to make sure I don't have that same happen again it, it this game is unfair I mean, I think that's that's the least of its concerns that it's unfair, but it doesn't help that it's unfair and it's also really dense. They expect you to, like I, like we've said, you have to write everything down. You have to parse through clues. You've got to go through, uh, anytime you see like a bookshelf, you want to make sure you take time to inspect it because sometimes you find a scrap of paper that's a clue. And the clue may be complete nonsense to you now, but later on you'll get something that says like, oh, if you go back to this town, there's a bookshelf on top of this this you know, abandoned house, but that bookshelf may have a clue for you. And then you're like, oh, I already got that clue earlier. Great. I can skip that one step. And and then what I was talking to Brandon about, and and I mean, obviously you heard this if you were on the, the podcast, but it's, it is, it feels good when you actually figure something out. Like I did enjoy that. When I finally got somebody to join me, I was like, yes, I've understood this game. Or if I got to level up a couple of times, I was like, all right, I'm doing pretty good. I earned a spell. I could I could actually use a different spell. Like I, I felt like I was really getting a good grip on it. And then all of a sudden I would just hit a wall where I couldn't get through anything. Every fight I was trying to get a, you know, every piece of quest I was trying to do ended in fights was killing me. Random encounters were destroying me. Uh, my, my save right now, I'm outside of a town. I have six gold to my name. I'm out of food out of water, and my only hope was to keep loading and hoping I'd get into a random encounter, get 20 gold for winning that if I got lucky enough to win it so that I could buy some more food and water because I don't have any goods left to sell. I got stuck in a bad spot and just kept saving, trying to hope I would like finish my quest and find a bunch of money. I have not. Uh, it, it is, it's brutally unfair, and it is the kind of game that I could see if I, if it was the only game I had, I could, I could spend the time to map this stuff out and really, really piece it together. There was a game I had on Gen on, on the Amiga called the Fairy Tale Adventure, which is also on the Genesis, by the way, as a port by Electronic Arts. It's not like this in that it's it's uh, it's more of a an open world Zelda style game, but with really really bad combat. Um, and I tried to figure that game out. Like I I wrote maps out. I tried to to write all the clues. It was very similar. I never got anywhere in that game, and I easily spent hundreds of hours on it as a kid. Hundreds. I mean weekends just trying to, to figure out what to do. And, and, you know, I'd make a little bit of progress and feel pretty good. And then all of a sudden I would just hit a wall. That's what this felt like to me. This was very much reminded me of just old PC adventure games uh, that, that just expect you to, 
spend years on it to figure this all out. Like the, the, the clues make sense to the three guys that made it, but to everybody else, you're like, what? I don't understand the logic that jumps from here to here. Uh, it's, it's difficult. Like, like I said, this is easily, I don't want to say it's bad. Uh, it's not enjoyable. I, I did not have fun with it. I think it's ambitious, but I think it is, it is too dense for its own good and it does not succeed at what it's trying to do. Uh, I, I do want to say that it's bad. I want to say it's unfun, unplayable. Uh, but it, we we came into this thinking, you know, it's a PCS game. We're probably not going to like it. I, I do want to say one positive about the game that I noticed is that in some places, the music, not bad. There's yeah. a couple tunes that are a little catchy. Yeah. The Takata and Fugue that plays when you're in like the temples or whatever, not a bad rendition. The, uh, the tavern music, little catchy. I'd say out of the, uh, the six out of a hundred that I did this game, about four points have to go to the music. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's for what it is. If I gave the game any points, it would just be for the sort of art style that it's going for. And, you know, the, the sound isn't isn't that bad for the most part, especially for a Genesis game. It, it's I, I just can't I just can't play a game like this. I, I don't know. And that's genuinely the reason that Kay's on this podcast. I mean, we have done six thousand episodes of this podcast at this point. <laughs> and. This is the first time where we genuinely felt like we needed someone else on here because I know Billy is over there in a fucking coma right now. And I barely I wish I was in a fucking coma. (laughs) See, and and I knew that's what our mine and his response was gonna be. At least I could play General Chaos, which you know literally felt like an old PC game ported to the Genesis. But you know, for this being just one of those smash your head up against the wall RPGs that nothing makes sense. You don't know where you're going if you don't have a strategy guide or walkthrough. It's just overall a mess. I appreciate what they were going for, but this is stuff that's way over their heads um, as far as like what they were capable of making. You know, maybe they were trying to make something that was in, you know, like what they played on the PC and we're just trying to go for that style. But man, it just doesn't work. And I, I don't want. I don't know if I could say it's the absolute worst, but I can say it is the most impenetrable that I have played for this <laughs> podcast so far. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's very uh, accurate. And the worst thing about it is, even if you were in a coma, you could still lose this game because you can get into <laughs> random encounters while you're standing absolutely still. Oh that's my totally God. true. This fucking uh, yes, impenetrable is is quite possibly the best way to put it. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, my my brain is fucking mush. There's nothing left of me. Um, th- this one has pushed me to limits. I, I, but if if I had to pick some positives out, um, someone. Oh God, someone just came out of my room. There's a gun on my head, and he he said I have to pick some positives out. So I'm gonna lie for a little bit, and I'm gonna say that it does sound decent here and there. Um, reg- regardless of the system it's on. Um, I, I, I like that board game kind of look, um, you know, and if it would be nice to look at like in pictures, maybe, uh, anytime there's any movement, it goes straight to hell. Uh, and I guess it tries to, to be fairly ambitious with some things, but you know, I, I learned from a young age, the ambition just, just leads to failure. And that is, that's just like in my life. That's the case with this game and hot damn. What a mess. And uh, yeah, I, I think this is destined to be one of those games that the only people that really, really claim to love it 
our besides our patron who, who put in the damn time um our other people that never really played it but just assume because a game is good or a game is old uh that it's good which they seem to be everywhere because this game got a lot of high reviews from people that didn't say a lot of details about it well it's, this is fuck. this is a, a, a it's not a pile of shit it's a it, it's a bucket of shit a pile of shit could be very small this is a full ass bucket which you could turn the bucket over and make a pile of shit out of it but it would be a sizable pile and i, I oh know my. for a fact there is only like 12 people on earth that has ever played this game besides us for this podcast mm -hmm. and i guarantee you as soon as this episode is done we will be flooded with uh email about you just don't understand things of power like i do and yeah. obviously we don't you know if you played this back in the day and and you have rose tinted glasses for for this thing more power to you um I've, but playing this now it is imp I, I you just can't i don't think you I've, can i'll tell you this I've been away for a little bit, uh, dealing with, with everything ranging from family illness, personal illness, uh, automobile accident, uh, injury, an engagement, um, you know, all kinds of terrible things. And, <laughs> Condolences and for all those things, by the way. <laughs> thank you. And, and I'm moving also. Um, and, and all that, the, the illnesses, seeing family members suffering, uh, hospital stays, um, I, I have it all back in a second instead of sitting down to play this motherfucker. <laughs> wow. Um, but thank you to our patron. Uh, yeah, we, we do listen, appreciate Brandon, it. Brandon, we tried. We Brandon, did try. we like you. We, we like we you We gave it a good. fair no shot. Hard, no hard feelings. I will say, I, I enjoy the part of this game where you have to put together the clues on where to go. Like, if I was able to just go out and explore and not have to do the random combat, I think I would have liked this game a lot more. My problem is the combat is... I hate it. I hate everything about the combat. I don't like that I can't control everything. I don't like that the auto combat is like uh, like Kay had said that the the AI is dumb. Sometimes they cast a spell. You're like, why would you cast? Why would you waste your turn to cast a like a defensive spell on the one guy that's not going to take any damage? Like, why are you doing that? And and you can't say don't do it. You can't. You can kind of switch to different levels of aggressiveness in combat, but it doesn't seem to help much. Uh, it it's just the combat on an RPG needs to be fun. You're going to do a lot of it. It, it's it, you know and and my level of fun for an rpg combat i mean i like destiny member so clearly i don't need a lot going on and this had i i can't control it i couldn't tell who to attack i couldn't have i, I did not care for the combat so the rest of this game while i thought there were some neat things i just couldn't i couldn't get past the combat i couldn't play it far enough i thought i would make i was making progress and all of a sudden it was just a wall of death and running out of food and water. And it was not, I don't know, it's not enjoyable. I, I understand why this could have been fun. I understand why I, I, I might have even been Brandon writing into a podcast saying how much I love this. If I would have had this game on my, on my Genesis, I, I guarantee you I have a TurboGrafx game that I would love to cover that you guys are going to say, Jeremy, how could anybody possibly like this game? And I will like it because it's something I spent the time in like Brandon for this game. But as a whole now, unless you are just in love with old, impenetrable PC RPGs, Give this one a give this one a pass. Most people did. Um, as I mentioned, they only did one run of these. They did apparently sell out as far as as Electronic Arts was concerned, and they didn't run any more. Um, there are no sequels to this game, unsurprisingly. Uh, this game was received so poorly, despite quote how it sold out, that Naughty Dog was considering quitting forever and took several years off trying to decide if they were going to continue to make PC games or not after the way this game was released and received. So. 
again, I know there have to be other people other than Brandon that, that have this game in high regard. I'm sure that if they were excited to listen to our podcast, so we were going to talk about it, uh, I'm sorry we didn't find the same amount of love in it. But at the same time, uh, hey, at least somebody's talking about it. Even bad advertising is advertising. So there you go. Um, that's that's all we have to say about uh, Rings of Power for the Sega Genesis. Yeah, the crazy thing is, like, first time I loaded this up, uh, like, I, I genuinely thought that, like, you would have the biggest erection over this thing. Like, just <laughs> seeing it and, and how it is. And it is so just your style of game. Uh, that I was like, oh, man, I bet Jeremy's just over there just in his element with graph mm-hmm. papers and notebooks mm-hmm. and, you know, ready to hit this one hard. And you ended up you ended up on our side for once. I, welcome uh, to the dark side. I welcome. hope you're prepared to get all of the questions and hate emails that we, me and Billy do. That's you uh, point it all at me. I gave this I gave this a good try. I easily spent over 20 hours on this game to make 30 seconds of progress. I tried. Jeez. I tried hard. And that's it. I couldn't do it. I think the yeah. most damning thing we can say about this game is it's not just that it's a PC ass game, but it's a JP ass game, and even JP doesn't like it. And that's it. that's our thoughts on rings of power for the sega genesis again apologies if you are a fan uh, but we did try uh now normally on the episode this is the part where we tell you to go to retrovania.net scroll all the way down to the bottom you can ask us a question however because Kay is here as our special guest uh now now we we know this but I, I don't know how many people listen to the podcast that would not know this but you currently fix arcade games for a living like that is your business that you own tell us about your business well, before I get into that, I, I want to go ahead and get this plug out of the way. Uh, I want to say that this, uh, this podcast is sponsored uh, by Wild Turkey and Manscaped. <laughs> yeah, of course. And yeah. for a limited time only, yeah. if you send us a video of you drunk and shaving your balls, nope, the please next do not patron make request ad. is yours. Oh, boy. That is that is no, only that. from Kay. I will not be doing that podcast, but if he has one, that does I'll, apply I'll, to his I'll next podcast. You, if, if someone does that, um, I'll, I'll review Rings of Power again. <laughs> all right now that we've gotten that out of the way uh hi i'm Kay. i'm the owner of prime arcade sales and repair here in odessa texas that's west texas far away from everybody else if you are listening you are probably not my delivery radius Uh, you can check out my page on facebook it's facebook.com slash prime arcade that shows you everything i have for sale if you're really just more interested in kind of like my video logs and my repairs and the things that I actually do, uh, you should follow me on TikTok, which my name there is Prime underscore Arcade because someone already took Prime Arcade one word. Hmm. I put up videos of the pinball machines that I restore, arcade machines I repair, uh, things like that. So if you're more interested in the process rather than things that you can't buy because you're nowhere near me, follow me on TikTok. That's where I post all that content. We had asked people on our Discord, uh, of which you are a regular member, if they had any questions to send your way uh, to write them on. So I've got a handful of questions from the folks on our Discord. Again, the link to our Discord is always in the co- in the uh, description of this podcast. So if you would like to join us for conversations about fast food and sometimes video games, that's the place to go. Um, but before I jump into theirs, uh, their questions, I do have a question for you. Now, you mentioned pinball games. Uh, do you think you repair more pinball games or arcade games? 
And it's probably 70-30 on the side of arcade machines just because they're far more numerous in this area. Um, when it comes to arcade games, uh, I can find anything from you know early 70s to modern-day stuff. That's everywhere in this area. It's pinball machines that seem to be a lot more rare, and almost everything I find is late 70s, early 80s. Like early solid-state pinball seems to be my wheelhouse. That's what I get a lot of. But I, I find more arcade machines than I do pinballs. If you look at my warehouse right now, it's probably about 70-30 split right there. So since you mentioned that they're from the 70s up to current, uh, Late to Gaming is asked, do you prefer working with older or more modern arcade games? Okay, so working on modern arcade games sucks. Um, almost every machine that's come out in the last 10, 15 years is just a PC and an, an input-output board and then some kind of security dongle, and then like a flat screen monitor. That's the entire machine. And so all you really got to do is figure out when it comes to diagnosis, which of those is your problem, and then order a replacement. Because the PCs, unless it's something really simple, like you know your BIOS battery died or something like that, or you got like a bad RAM, uh, it's something that's very proprietary to that specific model, and only the manufacturer is going to have the parts for it, and they're going to charge you far out the ass for it. So you can't really do your own repairs. you got to just send in for a new one, and that's, that's boring. Uh, especially when it comes to LCD monitors, when those things go bad, you can't fix them, really. You just replace them. The old CRT monitors that I work on, you know, I've got, I've got monitors that are 40-plus years old. I can take those out. I can rebuild them with new parts, and they'll look brand new like they just came off the assembly line. You can't do that with the new stuff. Old stuff is just... It's better made, and they still make parts for it, and uh, it looks terrible if you quote-unquote upgrade to uh, to newer equipment. If you put a flat screen in a Pac-Man, it's going to look like flat garbage. I was going to just ask like for games like DDR that have like you know the extra equipment or light gun shooters or things like that, uh, do you deal with, with any of those, and, and is getting any of those extra parts harder than getting the regular parts for you know like the, the screens and boards and things like that? Oh no, they still make all that stuff. You can you can buy brand new sensors for your your DDR foot pads. You can buy brand new light guns for your time crisis or whatever. They they still make that stuff because those games are still in operation and still making money in a lot of places. And most of those are kind of generic enough that a gun that works in a police trainer will also work in an Area 51. So you can just buy the generic gun that works for you and hook it up and you know, just buy a new one for like $90 and call it good. All right. Uh, another question from our Discord was from Divine Hobbit eighty nine, who asked you, "What's the worst cabinet you've had to work on? Do you refuse to work on any cabinet?" So, there are some PCBs for games that, when it comes to like some of the custom chips that are on the board or whatever, you cannot get any more of those. Like, you can't make more. You can't just put them on an EEPROM programmer and, and make new ones. Uh, and so a lot of those, since those parts have run dry, those boards, like even for some of the like gurus that you can send them anything and they know how to work on it, will absolutely refuse to take it because they can't fix it. Uh, Ivan Stewart's off-road is apparently really hard to work on. Um, hell, Galaga. Galaga is a really hard board to work on, but there's so many of them out there that you can steal parts from some of the other broken boards. Um, Revolution X and Terminator 2. Those uh, fix-the-gun games, those are notorious for those boards being a pain in the ass to work on to the point where a lot of guys are just like, nope, I don't take them. Sorry. Good luck. 
I'll I'll take almost anything. Uh, if I can't fix it, I can use, at least use it for parts. But there are a few games like those that if they if they come across and those those boards are shot, I'm like, I'm sorry, there's literally nothing I can do for you. I have a question. Go ahead. I I know before you step down from your previous your better more lucrative job of working at Chuck E. Cheese, uh, you had quite a few experiences there and as someone myself who's come from retail you know, <laughs> back in the day i i'm just curious as to what was your absolute worst experience with someone or, or anything at at chuck e cheese because we all know that chuck e cheese is a magical place and is never an annoying at all to to go into so it, it you had to have some some fun experiences there so for the most part, I don't really have any horror stories about Chucky because for the, major the majority of the time that I was there, uh, I was the tech manager, which meant I was responsible for all the games and equipment and maintenance and such. I, I did have to train employees and, and deal with that that worked in my game room. But for the most part, I just worked on machines. I didn't really have to deal with people because I was working Monday to Friday, like nine to five. And so except for during the summer, I just get a couple like, you know, single moms with their kids running around. I didn't really have people to deal with. I just dealt with machines. And before I became a manager, yeah, I, I did weekends and nights. And I mean, it's just basic retail nightmares. It's, it's, I wouldn't say there's anything that specifically happened to me then that wouldn't have happened if I worked at, you know, Kmart or Target or whatever. But one thing that's very famous across the nation about Chuck E. Cheese is parents getting in fights. Yeah. Uh, I never go. personally witnessed any fights. There were fights in my store that I saw later on, like, the security cameras. But I was never present for any of the fights, which is really upsetting because I really would have enjoyed jumping into the middle mm -hmm. of it wearing the Chucky suit. <laughs> oh, but, did you have to wear the Chucky suit? Uh, when I was... Uh, you know, bottom of the barrel employee. Absolutely. I wore it every day. Um, wow. Those things do not get washed as often as they should. Uh, there's, there's a lot of Febrezing. Oh my. Billy, you have nightmares over here. <laughs> you're supposed to dry clean the suit like once a week. And that, that was more like a once a quarter kind of thing. What if, what if, uh, what about when nature calls? You got the suit where you get, you got flaps on there. What's going on? You just go in the suit. Yeah, you just go in the suit. You know, you sacrifice whatever you're wearing underneath. You're not in the suit for long periods of time. Do you do you usually wear anything underneath? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, what if, the flaps I, for, Billy? <laughs> I didn't. I, I would remove like my my uniform shirt and just have on my undershirt, but I didn't take my pants off or anything like that. If for any other reason than I needed a barrier to protect me from everything else that was living inside <laughs> that suit. Oh, no. I needed a layer of protection. But uh, the, the stores that I worked in uh, were the ones that did not serve alcohol. Oh, and that's why you didn't see So the fights. main catalyst to <laughs> cause all those fights wasn't really present. So th there wasn't a whole lot of that. Now, the, the store I used to work at did start serving beer uh, after I left. But the, res the restrictions for getting beer there are so draconian that it's literally impossible to get drunk at a Chuck E. Cheese. You got to mm. pregame and come in already that way. Yeah, that's how I go into any Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, yeah. uh, ours was right next to a Logan's Roadhouse, and sometimes just in order to get through the shift, I'd have to go next door and have a couple. 
Now, when you said oh, you worked, a, a, a oh, quick follow up though to that, uh, what would you uh, on a scale of one to ten? How would you rank the Chuck E. Cheese pizza, and and did you eat it often? It's actually not that bad. Uh, I know there's a stigma attached to it, and when I very first started, which, good lord, is well over a decade ago, um, I would have agreed to that stigma just because the quality of ingredients was so low when I very first started. I like the cheese was like this weird crumbly mix blend that came in a box frozen that you just threw on top of a pizza and everything was, you know, frozen in the bag. And the only thing we made fresh was the dough. That was it. Everything else was just, you know, assembled out of a box and thrown into an oven. As time went on, that changed a little bit. Uh, We went to actually just using mozzarella cheese that we would shred ourselves uh, a little bit fresher ingredients things like that the quality did increase but the stigma was still there i would say that when i left the pizza had increased in quality to the point of basically like a low quality buffet style pizza like like a cc's i'd say would be comparable and we'd actually started doing like lunch buffets at that point so it was, it was almost a, a direct correlation to it now, when you say you had to work on tech at Chuck E. Cheese, did you also have to do the animatronics? Yes, I maintain the animatronics uh, every Wednesday morning. That, that's the only thing. Uh, every time I've gone to a Chuck E. Cheese in the last five years, which thankfully is not too many times, but my son wanted a birthday there once, and they've been to birthdays there. Uh, I've never seen a full working animatronic set. There's always at least one that more or less seems to be doing the right thing, but everything else, like one arm isn't moving anymore, their heads don't turn uh, it seems like it's that's the first thing that a lot of these Chuck E. Cheeses kind of stop paying attention to is the the animatronic quality. Well, for one, for the most part, the animatronics are being phased out. Uh, brand new locations or locations that are being renovated are actually taking the animatronics out entirely. Oh, and what, what the they're fuck? what they're yeah exactly what they're promoting instead is the the guy in the suit, the live Chucky. So they do a uh, at least before COVID. Uh, they, I don't know if they, how much they've changed since then because I haven't been in the store really. But before COVID, the thing was they would have a stage like on the ground that lit up and Chucky was supposed to go and dance every hour on the half hour and do a whole show and throw tickets for the kids or whatever. And the emphasis was supposed to be on that uh, to promote interactivity and things like that. And so the animatronics were just getting straight up phased out. Now, when I was there, that wasn't the case, and I didn't have a full band. I just had Chucky. And there's basically three setups you can have at a Chuck E. Cheese. There's two that are just Chucky. One, he has 16 different movements, and one, he has 32 different movements. And you can tell immediately, because 16 movements is not a lot. He just basically looks left, waves his arm, and blanks. The 32, you can actually do some more complex movements, and he can actually kind of perform with the show and make it look like he's doing things that look a little more natural. Then there's the entire band setup. Uh, I never had to maintain one of those, but I had a 32 movement, and there's lots and lots of documentation, uh, schematics, and manuals that are very detailed and make it very easy to repair things because it's actually very simple. It's, it's pneumatics. So you just have mechanics with air being blown through them to you know make an arm move or make his head turn to the left or the right or whatever. It's very simple. And... Chucky does have a very good internal parts department to where you can just get on the computer, order exactly what you need. You got part numbers for everything and have it shipped to you on the cheap because it's within the company and you can just fix it yourself. And, you know, they, they have great tech support and lots of things internalized that 
made the process a whole lot easier. So anyone who didn't have a working, you know, at least animatronics had no excuses. I, that's, I mean, the, the Chuck E. Cheese experience to me, and, and, and before that, which was mostly my childhood, which was showbiz pizza. Oh, yeah. Uh, the animatronics is what makes that experience. Like, what? I, I can't even imagine that without the animatronics. What am I going to sexually assault now? I, it's just, <sighs> mm. it has to be. You're going to sexually assault the guy in the suit is what you're going to do. I I can't feel anything until I go ham on Mr. Munch. I mean, that's just the way <laughs> life is. Uh and to not have that anymore is, is going to really suck. I just the experience of of that of Chuck E. Cheese without animatronics seems like something is is missing entirely. A, a, a part of Americana has died. I agree. It was kind of a rite of passage to you know be put up on the stage to take a picture in front of the animatronics and something signals and Chuck E. Bitch slaps you in the back of the head. It it's just weird not to have it. And the one by me does still have or at least it did again pre-covid i've not been there since covid but uh, they did have the full band but again half of it wasn't moving anymore necessarily uh, and the other thing that threw me off was they have for the animatronic band they still have the older style chuck e cheese but then everything else in the restaurant is that like new hip cartoon chuck e cheese where he's like skinny with a big head uh so mm-hmm. like, everything looks like that except for the chuck e cheese band and again the one that's on the side just like stands there and moves his head left and right i guess it was the 16 point he doesn't do a whole lot and my son was terrified of that chuck e cheese <laughs> absolutely terrified every time he would move or, or like start looking <laughs> he would run behind me that's kind of the best part for me was that but uh i, I uh, would love to see what they'd think about the old showbiz characters you talk about terrifying. Oh my God. they you actually moved they, they had more than yeah. like you know four points of movement to them yeah. like the chuck e cheese characters i still and I say remember as a kid that gorilla fucking tore my one one uh uh, got one thing that haunts me to this day is that the old showbiz and of course you know when the when the show's over that the curtain closes and you know you go you go you go back your way and you play the games and whatnot um i was one of those kids and i found out there's there's a handful of us out there that that dared to peek behind the curtain and and when I did, I you know I, I looked back there and there I, I looked behind each curtain and there was was each one of those animatronics, um, Chucky himself, the gorilla, everybody, just staring down at me with with just those those dead lifeless eyes, and it's it, it has stuck with me till this day. It stuck with me to the point to where when that Rocket Fire explosion documentary came out, I was a little reluctant to watch. It was like a horror film when I watched it. I was a little, a little scared to get on there. That that honestly kept me up many a night. Um, but yeah, I, I always thought it was really fucking creepy. It, they're terrifying when they take they their are. their fur and stuff off their costume. Oh yeah, it's it's great to look at those things when they're disassembled and you're just looking at the fucking Terminator. I actually worked there when the transition was made from the pre- previous Chucky, where he kind of had that Joyzy accent. You know, come on, be a kid be a freaking kid you fucking moron anyway the new one where he's you know he's 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 a mouse and he's tiny and he's uh, he's just not the same guy and they changed the voice actor to the guy from bowling for soup and so whenever he's saying it just felt unnatural and i didn't like it anyway i was there when that transition was made and so since we just had the chucky you know we changed all the signage in the store and all the things that we had hanging up they had the old chucky on there mm-hmm. but we had to change the head on the animatronic as well to match the new face part of the uh, chucky policy is that any sort of old memorabilia 
or like old costumes or anything like that that are being phased out have to be physically destroyed with like documentation, like photo documentation that you have done so before you uh, throw it in the dumpster. Reason being, they don't want you taking that head and going out and committing a crime and making the company look bad or, you know, right. taking a video where you, you know, jizzing on Chucky's face or whatever it is people do. I don't know. But uh, I, I had to take that old head and, and, and take a box cutter to it and fuck Chucky up and take a bunch of pictures and then throw it away, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to just kind of put it on my mantle as sort of a trophy, but they didn't let me. I did steal a giant token from one of the walls that's hanging in my game room right now, but uh, other than that, I don't. I didn't get to keep any Chucky memorabilia. I had to set it on fire. Speaking well, of your I game, I apologize room. for uh, for turning Damn. this into a Chuck E. Cheese conversation. So you can continue. I assumed it was going to go that direction anyway, but I'm sorry, I don't have any horrendous horror stories about my time at Chuck E. Cheese. Just... I didn't have to climb into the uh, the ball pit and clean out, you know, a giant pile of child shit or anything like that that never happened to me so I, it's it's i just have a weird fascination with classic showbiz and, and classic Chuck E. cheese and that entire crazy history that those two had you know going forward and i i haven't really heard obviously much about Chuck E. cheese these days because i don't go to that thing i don't have kids but you know just uh from from back in the day and and how all that came about and, and the craziness and, and if, if you haven't seen anything about it check out that documentary that billy mentioned uh rock fire explosion oh, really yeah. really cool and it does mm-hmm. you know it, it has direct correlation with with chuck e cheese as well so uh yeah okay jeremy you can you can get All back right. to there, <laughs> i guess there is one fun story i could tell real quick there's not okay. much to it basically but the gm that was there when i first got hired uh had a lot of ambitions for me wanted me to become the tech for the store and train me up and do all this stuff and uh he never got to follow through with any of that because he got fired for doing coke in the office. Oh, well, there you go. I guess, you know, that that's a quick way to get fired, um, especially if you then try to steal the head of the, the Chuck E. Cheese. You don't want that. Um, did, did you teach yourself how to fix arcade games and this stuff, or did you actually, like, get trained somewhere, like, with Chuck E. Cheese? So there's not really a school for what I do. My first job started when I was 15, and it wasn't for a company. It was just for a dude that had started his own arcade. And uh, I was already addicted to arcades at that point, namely because of Dance Dance Revolution. And the one that I would play at the mall uh, had had gone away. It was no longer at that arcade. But this new arcade had a DDR in it. So, of course, that's the, that's the place I started to frequent. And as I started going there more and more, eventually the guy was like, hey, you want to clean some machines for some money or whatever? So basically I started making $6 an hour wiping stuff down with counting coins and stuff like that. Um he didn't really know what he was doing either. When it came to repairs, he was very much learning on the job. And so I just kind of watched over his shoulder and picked up a few things. And uh, after a year or two, the, the arcade that I worked at didn't do that well, like monetarily. We did okay thanks to weekends and birthday parties and things like that. But we were barely keeping the doors open. Uh, so what we ended up doing, especially with all our downtime, was he would go to game auctions and he would pick up cheap, broken equipment. And then on the weekdays when we're not doing shit, we would fix those machines and flip them. And so I, I gained a lot of knowledge basically on the job just by like, okay, this game doesn't work. Figure it out. And uh, by the time I was 17, I could strip a cabinet and build it you know, bottom up from scratch. So I never really had any 
training per se, but I did have a mentor who was kind of helping me along the way. And then just as I went on to other locations, I was more or less self-taught. There are things now where I can look up repair guides and YouTube videos and things like that if I hit a wall. But for the most part, even now, it's just like, well, figure it out. Uh, Chucky didn't train me for Jack. Uh, by the time I came to Chucky, I already had six or seven years experience. And uh, my first training, quote unquote, to become a tech, they actually just sent me at the store that the same owner from that first arcade was the tech at. Because the, the arcade only lasted about five years and then he shut it down. But he went on to work for Chucky and I worked under him. And my training was basically him just showing me how to do paperwork. You know, this is where you input stuff on the computer, blah, blah, blah. He didn't have to teach me how to fix anything. I already knew. So basically for a week or two, we just dicked around and I went to my new store. And they didn't train me there either. So I don't think I've ever been trained. Well, it seems to be working out for you if you are currently running your own business doing the same thing. Uh, we did. Yes, yeah, get- so if you would like someone untrained and... Uh, partially skilled to work on your equipment, please call her at me. <laughs> uh, Fairy Quip, who was on our, our last episode uh, for Pocky and Rocky 2, has a question. Uh, generally, how do you view the future of the arcade industry? Is anything going to stay the same, or do you think a lot is going to change? So the arcade industry has already changed a lot since the time I started in it. When I first started, mall arcades and things like that could still be viable. And for the most part, nowadays, they're not. Uh, they're, they're few and far apart. So many of them have shut down. The big companies that ran those, like uh, Tilt and Namco, have all but shut down every single location they've got. Um, and things have shifted to kind of like the Dave and Buster's model, where it's a lot more redemption ticket games. Uh, the bigger, the better. All these giant machines that are you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy. Uh, family entertainment centers are what really make money as far as arcades go these days. Now, there have been there has been a bit of a movement towards more retro arcades and barcades. And if done correctly, those can do very well. Uh, for a retro arcade, you have to have a wide selection of uh, unique items while still having all the classics that everyone's looking for. You got to have Pac-Man. You got to have Galaga. You got to have Donkey Kong, et cetera, et cetera. You have to have someone competent to run the place who basically can repair that equipment because the maintenance and repair costs on retro equipment is insane. And to have someone else doing all that work for you will drain your finances very quickly. You have to be capable of doing it yourself or at least the bare minimum of doing it yourself. If you can't replace a power supply, if you can't diagnose what the problem is, you have no business starting an arcade because you will not be able to maintain it. And to pay someone full-time like me to do it is going to break your bank. Uh, I charge $75 an hour. And so if you got me on your payroll several, you know, it's 20 hours a week, you know, that you can't, you can't maintain that. I think with the future of the industry, there's always going to be a place for retro games because even as people age out it's their kids that they showed these games to that also ended up growing up with them that will bring that up to new generations there's it's it's so surprising to me how many kids 
know exactly who Pac-Man is, and I don't know why. Because it's not like you can just go to the laundromat and play Pac-Man while you're waiting on the dryer, you know? But somehow they know exactly what it is, and it's because of their parents showing it to them. And so as long as later generations show the newer generations these games and have them grow up with them as well, and as people die off and the collections that they've gathered go to their kids, I think that interest will continue to be re-upped, and there's still going to be a market for those things. It's going to be cyclical, and right now nostalgia is kind of at an all-time high, but it's going to drop down, and it'll build back up as those kids grow up again too. So I think there's there's always going to be a place for those things. And I, I don't know if it's uh, the same down there, but here in the Midwest we've seen a huge explosion in barcades uh, around here, which is basically just you know bars uh you get free play of everything they've got in there as long as you buy some drinks and yeah uh, they, there's a lot of that coming through here now and, and just about everything in those barcades are just classic 80s and 90s arcade games so uh, those have been really fun to go to and uh that, that seems like a, a thing that's that's a thing at the moment i don't know if it's a fad or if it's going to go away in a few years when all the kids you know stop wanting to play old games while they're drinking way overpriced alcohol drinks but as 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 of right now, I've been to a few and they're pretty fun. Well, to an extent, that already has died because a lot of those places closed with the pandemic. Um, especially here in Texas, uh, in the DFW area, there were a lot of barcades and a lot of retro arcades. And these were the guys that I was always competing with whenever I went to auctions. And they had deeper pockets than I did. So if they wanted something, I simply was not going to get it. But they... They had places that had four or five locations, you know, in the same town doing really well, getting all these great libraries together for all these places. And then the pandemic hit and they could not, they weren't allowed to keep their doors open. So they weren't making any money. They weren't able to pay their employees. A lot of those places had to consolidate down, close locations, get it down to basically one location left, sell everything off so they can just keep everyone on payroll. And even to this point, still have not fully recovered from that. Uh, I know a lot of places just straight up died in the last couple of years and there's no coming back for them. Uh, if you were able to survive that, maybe you're doing okay now. I don't know, but there's nothing around here locally like that. Uh, the closest thing to a barcade here is a place that I do make weekly maintenance for that. The only arcade games they have are like ski ball, basketball, redemption games like down the clown and, the milk jug toss that don't give tickets or anything like that. It's just for bragging rights. Uh, that's the only kind of equipment they have. They don't, they don't have a golden tee or anything like that. Um, there is a barcade in San Angelo that I'm helping to stock up. I think there's a place in Lubbock. There are places in the area, but as far as Odessa Midland, there's, there's really nothing here for me. I would love to go to a place like that. The closest I can come is to come back here to my game room and just drink and play pinball, which honestly I think I prefer. The, uh, the future, I believe, is going to be in VR, but it's not there yet. You can see VR places pop up from time to time. But for the most part, especially from what I've seen, they don't do very well because the technology is just not quite there yet. Uh, until you can get into a VR experience that's much more immersive and doesn't give you a headache after 15 minutes, I don't think that's – it's not there yet. Once the technology grows – which means that once uh, once porn makes that technology gets better, then I think that's going to be the new future of what you're going to see in arcades in a public setting. Uh, as for now, VR arcades kind of blow. 
Yeah, a little bit I've dealt with with VR arcades was like at the beach, they'll have one or two things set up, but they're always really expensive and not that cool. Um, it's like a neat idea, but I never want to play them. All, all I honestly like is find is if I can find a place with old arcade games. Uh, and unfortunately, at the beach here, there's, you know, you might find that like Miss Pac-Man Galaga split if you're lucky. That's the that's the closest thing you're going to find. But there is a place somewhat near me called Crabtown that is a restaurant on one half, like a family restaurant. And the other half of the restaurant is a full up just straight arcade and then a bar on the other side. And they have a huge collection of games. But you can tell that somebody there... Um, I'm assuming one of the owners or, or at least the owner of the arcade part has to work on the games himself because no matter when you go in, there's something that's not working, but then the next time you come, it's fixed and working again. And there's like things that are in process that are like kind of off to the corner. So I'm sure that they have somebody there that works on themselves, uh, which I think is the only way you'd be able to make that work uh, is to have like a side business there, either a bar or something else. And then, yeah, like you said, have the ability to work on them yourself because otherwise that's going to be way too expensive. Um, we're hitting a long time in this episode, which is fine. We have two questions left. One of which I don't even know exactly what they're asking so electric maestro asked what games do you think wouldn't have been as successful or popular if they had released in a different time that's kind of a a, a tough well, not a tough question but just like i don't really i mean yeah i'm glad i saw that question beforehand because i wasn't sure how to answer it when i first saw it um, okay <laughs> most games would not have done well if they were if they came later than they did um the prime example i can think of is galaga uh, galaga is a classic well beloved everyone knows galaga if Galaga had come out three years later, no one would have gave a shit. Because in the late 70s, early 80s, space shooters was like one of the two genres of game that existed. Uh, almost every single game was, you know, black background, ship at the bottom, move left and right, shoot at stuff that's coming at you. There's a billion games that fit that. So if Galaga had come out after that fad had already passed, no one would have gave a shit about Galaga. Um, I think another good example of a game that would have not done well if it had come out later would be Dance Dance Revolution. Uh, DDR came out in 98 or so. And rhythm games weren't really a thing yet. I mean, you had like Parappa the Rapper mm -hmm. and Bust a Groove, and that's about it. That's the extent of rhythm games. Uh, if DDR had come out later, DDR is too simplistic, and it would not... If it didn't have the nostalgia factor that backs it now, DDR wouldn't do well now because it's too simple compared to a lot of the other rhythm games that have come out since then. Especially if you see like Dance Rush or any of those things where it's like full body movement on a stage, they would look at DDR and be like, well, that's just four arrows. That's, that's a child's game. Who would play that? Well, I think any game, if you look at, like you mentioned Galaga, I think any game where you find like the original version or older versions of a game that now is, you know, like Street Fighter 2. If Street Fighter 2 came out today, I don't know if anyone would care. Because there are so many better games that came out after it, arguably. I know some people right now are screaming at me. But you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> you know, Tekken 1. Tekken 1's fine, but Tekken 2 was better. You know, so, you know, would Tekken 1 do well? If you so I think, I think, you know, like, but yeah, I think, I think DDR is a good point where it's, it is so simple that you could, even looking at it now, and it's so big, uh, why would people put that in the, the arcade without that nostalgia factor? So that makes sense. Yeah, why would a moron like me put one in his house? Well, again, it's nostalgia. The same reason I want a burger time machine that I will someday get you to fly out to me. But aside from that, we have one more question. Late to gaming added one more question today. Is there an arcade or a shop that you've always wanted to visit but have not? So I haven't really been to too many places. I don't get out much. And there's really not much here in the area. Uh, there's some really cool places in Austin. But uh, as far as nationally, there's, a, there's Galloping Ghost in Illinois. That is the largest arcade in the world. They have, I believe, just under a thousand different games. I've never been there. There's uh, the Garcade in Wisconsin. That's also a very large arcade. 
Uh, the main reason why I'd want to go to a large place with a huge selection like that is to play the things that I've never seen before or that I've only seen like once or twice. There's a lot of rare pieces out there that it's, you know, I'll probably die without ever getting to play. But if I go to a place like that, that's got one, you know, I can give it a shot and then see why no one liked it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the, the crowd town place by me. They, that's the only place I've ever seen the, uh, the Nintendo arm wrestling game. Like it's not great, but I'd never seen it before and it worked and I was like, awesome. And I sucked at it, but I, you know, it was neat to see it. You see, I've played that on a, on emulation and it's a, it's a niche game. You have to learn how to play it in order to get any enjoyment out of it. But that's something that I've, I've never seen in the wild. I think it'd be really cool to actually walk up to an original dedicated cabinet with full artwork and play the game like it was meant to be played. Um, there's, I don't know if you've ever, you had mentioned uh, the irritating stick before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had it on PlayStation, uh, not in the arcade, but I had it on PlayStation. Yeah, the, there's an arcade version of that called the irritating maze. It's, it's the same game. You're moving the stick through the maze, can't touch the sides. It's a trackball game, which makes it a whole lot easier to play. Uh, I got to play it in an original dedicated cabinet. And what's fun about that game, other than the trackball, which gives you a much better control, is if you touch the sides in that game, there is an air compressor that blasts air into your face <laughs> that makes you jump. Oh, man. As is just a whole other experience. You're like, ah, fuck. That's kind of great. Uh, well, I have, I have one more question for you uh, because... You've mentioned it, and I'm very curious. What is in your current personal arcade? So the quickest way to see the answer to that is I've, one of the last TikToks I made was actually a walkthrough of my game room. Uh, I just did that a couple of days ago. But just to tell you real quick, I have it's a very small game room. This is my in-law suite. Uh, so the living room of the in-law suite I made into my barcade. Uh, all over the walls, I've got a bunch of marquees from games that I've either stolen over the years or just fell apart or just things that I've collected, and they've, the walls are just covered. I've got a few posters and things like that. Uh, but as for games, I've got a PlayChoice 10 dual monitor. I've got a Miss Pac-Man Cabaret, which means it's shorter than the standard upright. It's got a 13-inch monitor in it. It's about five feet tall. It's freaking adorable. I have a Multicade made out of a Street Fighter 3 cabinet that plays 3,000 games. I have a Drum Mania version 4, which is a drum simulator. It's as large as you're thinking it is. Uh, a pinball machine, which is the machine where I have Pinbot. That's my favorite pinball machine of all time, and I was lucky to find one at a decent price. And then I've got a Dance Dance Revolution, which takes up half the goddamn room. Yeah, that thing is massive when you don't realize the, the size of everything together. I, it was always in the arcade that, that had one, which might have even been a Dave & Buster's that I went to to play it on. It it has to stand alone by itself. It can't just go along with all the other arcade games. It was out in the middle of the open because it needed so much extra room. Mm. I, I do have a story I can tell about the uh, the Play Choice 10 and the Miss Pac-Man that I think is very interesting. But if we're short on time, we might want to save that for another time. We'll save that for another time because I'm sure you'll be back. Um, thank you for coming on and, and helping us out with Rings of Power, a game that by this point we've already forgotten we talked about for the first hour of the show. Um, and- for, for everyone, here's, here's a teaser. Um, those two games, plus a few others that I have in storage, are stolen, and I cannot legally sell them or do anything with them. <laughs> you bought them stolen or you stole them? No, I bought them stolen. They were I bought them from someone who did not own them. Yeah, and that's a couple a, days later. He got arrested for it. Not not great, but hey, it means you have your own Play Choice Ten and uh, and smaller Miss Pac Man. The Play Choice Ten, real quick, is that does that have 
Can it use standard NES carts or does it have its own special boards? No, it's got its own special boards that for the most part are the exact same as their NES counterparts. There are a couple differences. Uh, namely, I have Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and it has a uh, basically a time attack for every single boxer. So like a top 10 score of how fast you defeated them that the NES version doesn't have. Very cool. Um, well, again, thank you for coming on and, and helping us cover Rings of Power. Um, and if again, what is the name of your business? Prime Arcade Sales and Repair. Find me at TikTok Prime underscore Arcade. And we'll also put the link in the comments for the podcast so everyone can find you on Facebook and TikTok and everywhere else. Uh, but if you're looking for us and not all arcade games, you can always find us at Retrovania Network. You'll find the links to all of our social media, plus, of course, a question form, which in most other episodes, we would have answered your questions if you send them in. Go ahead and do that because we've got another patron request coming for our next episode, I believe. But thankfully, it's one that I'm pretty sure we're all going to enjoy. And we'll see you then. 